chapter 10 of Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. And please pardon the storming outside. I don't know if you can hear it, but there's some ambiance for you. It was, of course, the lion's voice. The children had long felt sure that he could speak, yet it was lovely and terrible shock when he did. Out of the trees, wild people stepped forth, gods, fawns, and satyrs, and dwarves. Out of the river rose the river god, with his naiad daughters. And all these, and all the beasts and birds in their different voices, low or high, or thick or clear, replied, Hail Aslan, we hear and obey, we are awake, we love, we think, we speak, we know. But please, we don't know very much yet, said a noisy and snorty kind of voice. And that really did make the children jump, for it was the cab horse who had spoken. Good old Strawberry, said Polly. I am glad he was one of the ones picked out to be a talking beast. And the cabbie, who was now standing beside the children, said, Strike me pink. I always did say that horse had a lot of sense, though. Creatures, I give you yourselves, said the strong, happy voice of Aslan. I give to you, forever, this land of Narnia. I give you the woods, the fruits, the rivers. I give you the stars, and I give you myself. The dumb beasts who I, my, I have not chosen are yours also. Treat them gently and cherish them. But do not go back to their ways, lest you cease to be talking beasts. For out of them you were taken, and into them you can return. Do not so. No, Aslan, we won't, we won't, said everyone. But one perky jackdaw added in a loud voice, No fear! And everyone else had finished just before he said it, so that his words came out quite clear in a dead silence. And perhaps you have found out how awful that can be, say, at a party. The jackdaw became so embarrassed that it hid its head under its wings as if it was going to sleep. And all the other animals began making various queer noises, which are the ways of laughing, and which, of course, by no one has ever heard in our world. They tried at first to repress it, but Aslan said, Laugh and fear not, creatures. Now that you are no longer dumb and witless, you need not always be grave, for jokes as well as justice come in with speech. So they all let themselves go, and there was such merriment that the jackdaw himself plucked up courage again and perched on the cab horse's head between its ears, clapping its wings, and said, Aslan, Aslan, have I made the first joke? Will everybody always be told how I made the first joke? No, little friend, said the lion. You have not made the first joke. You have only been the first joke. Then everyone laughed more than ever, but the jackdaw didn't mind, and laughed just as loud till the horse shook its head and the jackdaw lost its balance and fell off, but remembered its wings, they were still new to it, before it reached the ground. And now, said Aslan, Narnia is established. We must, we must next take thought for keeping it safe. I will call some of you to my council. Come hither to me, you, the chief dwarf, and you, the river god, and you, oak, and the he-owl, and both the ravens, and the bull-elephant. We must talk together, for though the world is not five hours old, an evil has already entered it. The creatures he had named came forward, and he turned away eastward with them. The others all began talking, saying things like, What did he say had entered the world? An evil? What's an evil? No, he didn't say an evil. He said a weevil. 
Well, what's that? Look here, said Diggory to Polly. I've got to go after him. Aslan, I mean, the lion. I must speak to him. Do you think we can, said Polly. I wouldn't dare. I've got to, said Diggory. It's about Mother. If anyone could give me something that would do her good, it would be him. I'll come along with you, said the cabby. I like the looks of him, and I don't reckon those other beasts will go for us, and I want a word with old Strawberry. So all three of them stepped out boldly, or as boldly as they could, towards the assembly of animals. The creatures were so busy talking to one another and making friends that they didn't notice the three humans until they were very close. Nor did they hear Uncle Andrew, who was standing trembling in his buttoned boots, a good way off and shouting, but by no means at the top of his voice, A diggory! Come back! Come back at once when you're told! I forbid you to go a step further! When at last they were right in among the animals, the animals all stopped talking and stared at them. Well, said the he-beaver at last, what in the name of Aslan are these? Please, began Diggory in rather a breathless voice, when a rabbit said, They're a kind of large lettuce, that's my belief. No, we're not, honestly, we're not, said Polly hastily. We're not at all nice to eat. There, said the mole, they can talk. Who ever heard of a talking lettuce? Perhaps. They're the second joke, suggested the jackdaw. A panther, which had been washing its face, stopped for a moment to say, Well, if they are, they're nothing like so good as the first one. At least I don't see anything very funny about them. It yawned and went on with its wash. Oh, please, said Diggory. I'm in such a hurry. I want to see the lion. All this time, the cabbie had been trying to catch Strawberry's eye. Now he did. Now, Strawberry, old boy, he said, you know me. You ain't going to stand there and say as you don't know me. What's the thing talking about, horse? said several voices. Well, said Strawberry very slowly, I don't exactly know. I think most of us don't know much about anything yet. But I've a sort of idea I've seen a thing like this before. I've a feeling I lived somewhere else, or was something else, before Aslan woke us all up a few minutes ago. It's all very muddled, like a dream. But there were things like these three in the dream. What? said the cabbie. Not know me. Me what used to bring you a hot mash of an evening when you was out of sorts. Me what rubbed you down proper. Me what never forgot to put your cloth on if you was standing in the cold. I wouldn't have thought it of you, Strawberry. It does begin to come back, said the horse thoughtfully. Yes. Let me think now. Let me think. Yes. You used to tie a horrid black thing behind me, and then hit me to make me run. And however far I ran, this black thing would always be coming rattle, rattle behind me. We had our living to earn, see, said the cabby. Yours the same as mine. And if there hadn't been no work and, and no whip, we'd have been no stable, no, no hay, no mash, and no oats. For you did get a taste of oats when I could afford them, which no one can deny. Oats, said the horse, pricking up its ears. Yes, I remember something about that. Yes, I remember more and more. You were always sitting up somewhere behind, and I was always running in front, pulling you and the black thing. I know I did all the work. A summer, I grant you, said the cabby. Hot work for you and a, and a cool seat for me. But what about winter, old boy? 
when you was keeping yourself warm and I was sitting up there with my feet like ice and my nose fair pinched off me with the wind and my hands that numb I, I couldn't hardly hold the reins. It was a hard, cruel country, said Strawberry. There was no grass, all hard stones. Aye, too true, mate, too true, said the cabby. And an hard world it was. I always did say those paving stones weren't fair on any horse. That's London. That is, I didn't like it no more than what you did. You were a country horse, and I was a country man. Used to sing in the old choir, I did, down at home. But there wasn't a living for me there. Oh, please, please, said Diggory. Could we get on? The lion's getting further and further away. And I do want to speak to him so dreadfully badly. Look here, Strawberry, said the cabby. This young gentleman has something on his mind that he wants to talk to the lion about. Him you call Aslan. Suppose you was to let him ride on your back, which he'd take it very kindly, and trot him over to where the lion is, and me and the little girl will be following along. Ride, said Strawberry. Oh, I remember now. That means sitting on my back. I remember there used to be a little one of you two-leggers who used to do that long ago. He used to have a little hard square lumps of some white stuff that he gave me. Oh, they tasted, oh, wonderful, sweeter than grass. Ah, that'd be sugar, said the cabby. Oh, please, Strawberry, begged Diggory. Do, do let me get up and take me to Aslan. Well, I don't mind, said the horse. Not for once, in a way. Up you get. Good old Strawberry, said the cabby. Here, young'un, I'll give you a lift. Diggory was soon on Strawberry's back and quite comfortable, for he had, for he had ridden bareback before on his own pony. Now do gee up, Strawberry, he said. You don't happen to have a bit of that white stuff about you, I suppose, said the, said the horse. No, I, I'm afraid I haven't, said Diggory. Well, it can't be helped, said Strawberry, and off they went. At the moment, a large bulldog, who had been sniffing and, and staring very hard, said, Look! Isn't there another of these queer creatures over there, beside the river, under the trees? Then all the animals looked and saw Uncle Andrew standing very still among the rhododendrons, and hoping he wouldn't be noticed. Come on, said several voices, let's go and find out. So while Strawberry was briskly trotting away with Diggory in one direction, and Polly and the cabby were following on foot, most of the creatures rushed towards Uncle Andrew with roars, barks, grunts, and various noises of cheerful interest. We must now go back a bit and explain what the whole scene had looked like from Uncle Andrew's point of view. It had not been made at all the same impression on him as on the cabbie and the children, for what you see and hear depends a good deal on where you are standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. Ever since the animals had first appeared, Uncle Andrew had been shrinking further and further back into the thicket. He watched them very hard, of course, but he wasn't really interested in seeing what they were doing only in seeing whether they were going to make a rush at him. Like the witch, he was dreadfully practical. He simply didn't notice that Aslan was choosing one pair out of every kind of beast. All he saw, or thought he saw, was a lot of dangerous wild animals walking vaguely about. And he kept on wondering why the other animals didn't run away from the big lion. When the great moment came and the beast spoke, he missed the whole point, for a rather interesting reason. When the lion had first begun singing long ago, when it was still quite dark, he had realized that the noise was a song, and he had disliked the song very much. It made him think and feel things he had, did not want to think and feel. Then when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, 
only a lion, as he said to himself. He tried his hardest to make believe that it wasn't singing, and never had been singing, only roaring as any lion might in a zoo or in a world, in our own world. Of course, it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Whoever heard of a singing lion? And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. Uncle Andrew did. He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else even if he had wanted to, and when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. And when the beast spoke in answer, he heard only barkings, growlings, baying, and howlings. And when they laughed, well, you can imagine, that was worse for Uncle Andrew than anything that had happened yet. Such a horrid, bloodthirsty din of hungry and angry brutes he had never heard in his life. Then, to his utter rage and horror, he saw the other three humans actually walking out into the open to meet the animals. The fools, he said to himself. Now those brutes will eat the rings along with the children, and I'll never be able to get home again. What a selfish little boy that Diggory is, and the others just as bad. If they want to throw away their own lives, that's their own business. But what about me? They don't seem to think of that. No one thinks of me. Finally, when a whole crowd of animals came rushing towards him, he turned and ran for his life. And now anyone could see that the air of that young world was really doing the old gentleman any good. In London, he had been far too old to run. Now he ran at a speed which would have made him certain to win the hundred yards race at any prep school in England. His coattails flying out behind him were a fine sight, but of course it was no use. Many of the animals behind him were swift ones. It was the first run they had ever taken in their lives, and they were all longing to use their new muscles. After him! After him! they shouted. Perhaps he's that Neville. Tally-ho! Tantivy! Cut him off! Round him up! Keep it up! Hooray! In a very... In a very few minutes, some of them got ahead of him. They lined up in a row and barred his way. Others hemmed him in from behind. Wherever he looked, he saw terrors. Antlers of great elks in the huge face of an elephant towered over him. Heavy, serious-minded bears and boars grunted behind him. Cool-looking leopards and panthers with sarcastic faces, as he thought, stared at him and waved their tails. What struck him most of all was the number of open mouths. The animals had really opened their mouths to pant. He thought they had opened their mouths to eat him. Uncle Andrew stood trembling and swaying this way and that. He had never liked animals at the best of times, being, un being usually rather afraid of them. And, of course, years of doing cruel experiments on animals had made him hate and fear them far more. "'Now, sir,' said the bulldog in his business-like way, "'are you animal, vegetable, or mineral?' That was what was really said, but all An Uncle Andrew heard was, "'Grrrr!'